Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening, and God bless. It's good to see everyone, though, that's here this morning, to come on in to study God's Word. It's, you know, this last week, I spent a lot of time thinking through the Bible itself and, and how it operates and how it comes together. And it, the more we can spend time studying it, it's just truly amazing. It's mind-boggling, the layers and the depth and, and how every time you come to it, you learn something new. Just last night, as I was finishing up my sermon, something like clicked with me with the idea of the word good in um, the Sermon on the Mount, which I'm not even going to tell you that this week. It's going to be a couple weeks. But uh, it was like, holy cow. I never noticed that before. That connects here. This connects here. This connects here. It's like, oh, I'm enlightened for like 30 seconds and I realize I know nothing. But, um, you know, it's so cool when you spend time in God's word, what, what you find and what you learn. So I want to thank you for coming out and being part of this Bible study. Let me encourage you to be involved in every type of Bible study you can and read and study on your own. There's a wealth of information out there that's free. If you ever need any suggestions, hit me up. Um, I mean, my favorite thing to do right now is I'll listen to podcasts. Um, I'll, I'll, when I'm at the gym working out, I'll put my headphones in and I'll listen to them. Maybe when I'm working in the yard or something like that. Or even in the office, I'll have it on in the background as I'm doing other things. Lately, I've been on a Bible project kick. That's the one I'm listening to. Um, there's another one I listen to called the Side B Podcast, where they interview former atheists and ask them, why are you a Christian? And it's so cool to hear their story. Another one I listen to is the Unbelievable podcast where they bring in two people of opposing viewpoints and have them talk. Sometimes it's a, a Muslim imam and a Catholic priest talking about scripture. You know what I mean? It's kind of cool. You get to see the opposing views. Um, I like the Think Biblically one out of the Biola University. It's a really good one with Sean McDowell. His dad was Josh McDowell who wrote the book, The Evidence That Demands a Verdict. You might be familiar with it. It's pretty well known, kind of Christian bestseller. There's a lot of good stuff out there um, in our own Brotherhood, the radically Christian one that Wes McAdams does is really good. Um, there's a lot of good stuff out there. All right, well, we are in the book of Ephesians, and our theme for the book is, or our, our title for the class is Walking with Purpose, and we're talking about finding purpose and meaning in our life. Because if we're just floating through life wondering what's next, we're going to fall short, we're going to give in to sin, we're going to mess up. And when we have a, a direction to what we're doing, all of a sudden, everything starts to line up. You know, I'm old now, now that I'm 40 years old, so I can say I'm old like a lot of you guys. And um, now that I've reached 40, some of the different drives to do certain things aren't, aren't necessarily there anymore. It's like, you know what, maybe getting up really early and going dirt biking, that sounds like a lot of work now, which is odd because before it's like... 3 a.m., let's go. I'm like, oh, you got to pack things. That doesn't sound like fun. You know, stuff like that. Um, and someone was asking me a while back, why do you, because I'll sign up for jujitsu tournaments every once in a while still, even though I'm old. And they asked, why do you do it? I said, because it gives direction to my training. If not, I eat whatever I want, and I'm already short. Short and fat is not a good combination. So um, if I'm not signing up for tournaments, I end up eating whatever I want because I don't have to make weight anymore for something. And I kind of get lazy in, in the gym and kind of just go through the motions a lot of times. So I set a goal because it then gives me direction. I do the same thing with ministry stuff. Uh, I'll say, on this date, we're going to do this. Because if I don't do that, maybe I kind of flounder and don't have as much direction. Ephesians gives us purpose because if we don't have purpose and direction to our Christian walk, because key word of the book is walk, walk aimlessly. 
You'll wander all over the place. And there's actually books in the Bible that talk about people wandering to and fro, cast on every wave and wind of doctrine. We don't want that to happen. We want to have purpose. So that's where this book comes in. We introduced it last week, written by the Apostle Paul. Chapter 1, verse 1 tells us that. Um, we're not making this up. It's from the text itself. The recipients are the saints in Ephesus. Or that says Ephesians. I yet to correct that. Um, the city of Ephesus, the people that live there are called Ephesians, just like the people that live here are called Visalians. Okay. The time of writing is A.D. 62, so about 30 years after the death of Jesus. Church is spreading and growing, and early Christians and the leaders among the movement are writing and circulating letters like Paul, and this is one of his letters. Paul came into contact with Jesus on the road to Damascus, was picked by him to be an apostle, particularly an apostle to the Gentiles too. Um, some repeated words in this book are grace, riches in Christ or in him, heavenly places, spirit, love, faith, and walk. And the key verse of the book, I think, is chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Chapter 1, he's going to tell you how amazing it is to be a Christian. And then chapter 2, he's going to get practical and say, here's what you got to do now. And then the rest of the book is about how to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. He's explaining how we were called here in chapter 1. And he's going to tell us how we live that out in the next several chapters. Powerful book that talks about how to live the Christian life or how to walk properly. With that in mind, we'll pick up in a second. But any questions or comments um, about the introductory material before we get into the text again? So this week, when you're walking, think of this verse. All right, so chapter one. Last week, we left off around verse seven and eight. Uh, we were talking about the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to read, and I want you to follow along Ephesians chapter one, and then we'll pick up, you know, as we're going on. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, this is chapter one, verse one, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us, in the beloved. We'll stop right there, but what words stand out to your phrases in that section so far? Chosen, yes, or he chose us. And when you understand that he chose you, it kind of gives you purpose a little bit more to your walk. What else do you see here? Predestined, blessed, what else? Where are all these blessings found? Yeah, in him or in Jesus he mentions here, which is totally awesome, that all these blessings and um, maybe different ones stand out because even right there when I asked you what stood out to you, some said blessed, some said chosen, some said predestined. Different words stood out to you, but all those blessings were only found in Jesus. So whatever one, you know, is attracts you, they're all in the same place. They're there in Jesus. You know, you ask your kid, What's your favorite ride at Disneyland? A lot of people have different opinions on it. Well, I like Indiana Jones. I like Pirates of the Caribbean. I like the Autotopia. But yet, they're all in Disneyland if you want to ride 
those rides. Here, all these blessings are only found in Christ Jesus. You have to be a Christian to receive the blessings listed here in Ephesians chapter 1. Blessings of being chosen, blessings of uh, predestination, blessings like in chapter 3, when he, or verse 3, sorry, where he gives the summation of all of it. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is only found in Christ. All right, so let's pick up then verse 7. In him, who's the him? Yeah, right before it, he says it's the beloved, and right before that, it's in love and in Christ and in him. So you know it's the same guy. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. All right, that's a big religious word. Anybody got a different word in their Bible there besides redemption? Okay, forgiveness. What does redemption mean? Back, redeem, forgiving. So, debt, you know, and that kind of idea. Or you, you've fallen out of that and you can be bought back into that right situation. That's this redemption type idea. If we are lost, we're separated from Jesus through our sins. We want to come back into a good relationship with him it has to be made right somehow. The way that it is made right is the process of redemption. And Jesus is the one that is the source of that process of redemption. And the redemptive element in this passage that gives us forgiveness is what? His blood. Why? What's the deal with blood? Okay, pretend you've, you're new to the first class you ever walked into was Ephesians, and we're like, whoa, here, you got redemption in blood? You Christians are weird. Already every first day of the week you're talking about that this grape juice represents blood. I mean, come on, it seems kind of strange to an outsider. What is it talking about? Yvonne, you had your hand up? Okay, so Yvonne gave us a lot to unpack there. But yeah, so you go way back in the Old Testament times, leading up into Jesus. They would offer an animal sacrifice. Particularly, they would have blood poured out upon like the mercy seat as a place of atonement or forgiveness for the nation. It was a symbol of, you know, the, the sins being taken away, an offering of death and, and all of that. And that would happen. And blood became associated, at least in the Jewish mindset, with forgiveness. When blood is offered, I'm forgiven. Blood is offered, I'm forgiven. And what's neat is you go through the Old Testament, there's so many shadows like that. Of, here's a little hint of what the Messiah is going to do. Here's a little hint of what the Messiah is going to do. Here's a little bit more. And then you come into Jesus, and he dies. His blood is shed. In, bloodshed is synonymous with death. His blood is shed similarly like the altar would happen, you know, with the lamb and so on. And because of that, we have forgiveness. Yes. Yeah, he gave his life so that we could have life through the life force that is found in blood. And there's a lot of kind of poetic, symbolic elements to that, but you're right. So through the life-giving blood of Jesus, freely offered on the cross, we have new life given to us only found in Christ Jesus. Yvonne. Well, you guys high-five each other then. I like it. Good. Other thoughts? He says, The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I do want to say that all of these blessings he lists here, they overlap. 
I don't think this is designed to be a bulleted kind of list in a sense. However, I do think that he gives blessings from the Father, blessings from the Son, blessings from the Spirit. There might be an overarching kind of umbrella of the Trinity here with this. But here he says, in him, through his blood, we have forgiveness of our trespasses. What are trespasses? Sins, violations, you know, that kind of thing. According to the riches of his grace. And that's a key element we got to think about here because he's going to come back to this idea according to the riches of his grace. We are not saved because we're good. We're not saved because we obey perfectly. We're not saved because we're better than other people. We're saved and offered the forgiveness of God's grace because God is a gracious God. And if we get into Christ Jesus, he will offer that to us. But it's, it's not something that we have deserved. And he's trying to keep this in the back of their mind because later in chapter 2, he's going to talk about, look, it's not your own works that did this. Because we have the tendency as humans to think we got it all figured out on our own. We're going to be able to handle it on our own. We don't need God. And we get really arrogant a lot of times. Well, I'm a good person. Well, that's the ultimate form of works-based salvation. We say, well, I'm a good person. None of us are good people. Um, and hint to my sermon in a couple weeks from the Sermon on the Mount. And um, because of that, we need his grace. But his grace was not just offered to us. According to verse 8, what did he do with his grace? Which he what? Lavish. Anybody got another word besides lavished? Abundantly. Uh, what, what's the idea here? If I were to lavish uh, gifts to Zinni, what would that mean? A lot of them, right? Um, that kind of thing. I'm pouring it out upon, you know, um, that kind of idea. You, you might lavish affection on somebody. It is like just overabundant, just poured out, you know, Santa's sleigh ripped open in every package that buries Timmy right there. You know, that kind of thing. Yes. It's mind-boggling how loving and gracious our God is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, think about this here, too, because I've had many people over the years wonder if they're saved, if God's going to forgive them, if um, they maybe have done too many bad things. I've had all those kind of conversations. Um, even just um, yesterday, I was in a, in a conversation with somebody asking me about rebaptism, and and every situation is different with that, but a lot of times people a question about, oh, should I get baptized again? It's because, well, they, they fell in the sin of some kind, you know, or uh, kind of drifted away. And we have to talk about that. No, you know, God still has enough grace for you. <laughs> he lavishes grace on you. It's not just, well, here's a little bit of grace. Oh, you blew it. That's all the grace you're going to get. You know what I'm saying? It's not like that. It's not like, well, you use it, you lose it kind of thing. No, it's he has enough grace to lavish it upon us. In spite of every sin we've ever committed or will commit even in the future, you know, there's still enough grace there for us because he lavishes it on us in all wisdom and insight. There's depth to this. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in him. All of this idea of the redemptive process of Jesus, the pouring out of God's grace, is all part of God's predetermined purpose. Now, it might not be understood by all. He says the mystery of his will. And the word for mystery there a lot of times in the Greek isn't 
We think of mysteries as kind of like a whodunit crime drama kind of thing, like, ooh, can we solve the puzzle? But the idea of mystery in the Bible has to do with something that wasn't really revealed yet. That kind of idea, a hidden fact. Here, this idea, we didn't understand how it was all going to work. We didn't know how redemption was going to happen. Way back when, when the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Eve ate from the fruit she wasn't supposed to, Adam did too, God punishes them, kicks them out, and he gives a, a promise. He says that the serpent is going to bruise your heel and your seed is going to crush his head. How? Well, the next several thousand years are of us wondering how. You know, right? And then even as we go through the Old Testament time, there's all this wonder. What's going to happen? How's atonement? What's the Messiah going to be like? And here he says, it was hidden. It was made known to us the mystery of his will. So now that which was hidden is revealed in Christ Jesus. Everything that has ever happened in divine history has been pointing to the moment when Jesus would come and redeem mankind. And now from that moment, we can look back and it all starts to make sense. But imagine being part of that journey. It's not making sense along the way. But now it all comes to this culmination. This is the, I get it. It's all about Jesus. Kind of what we're doing right here. He's made known to us the mystery of his will. And it has to do with the kind intention. God's gracious, he's loving, he's kind. Which he purposed in him. It was planned what Jesus was going to do. Let me read verse 10 and then we'll talk about this more. And verse 10 is a doozy. It says, with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ Jesus, in the heavens and things on the earth in him. Now the suitable administration, all that, I still don't fully understand how he's using those terms, but I get the gist of the verse. The gist of the verse is this, everything points to, leads to, and is all about Jesus. That's the idea here. Everything about redemption and about salvation, things on the earth, things in the heavens, are all summed up in Jesus. It is all about him. God's plan for your redemption is only found in Jesus Christ. Comments about that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he has enough grace for that too. Absolutely. Other thoughts? Okay, so there's a, and I, I don't like spending class time refuting different weird ideas and all that, but sometimes there's this idea out there that Jesus messed up or that God's plan was thwarted and that's why Jesus went to the cross. That, well, God wanted, you know, if you think about the Jewish people, what were they looking for? They were looking for kind of a, a warrior Messiah who would, you know, bought, you know, kick the Romans out of Palestine and, and all of that. When Jesus came and seemingly was defeated, because he was, I mean, he was whipped, beaten, arrested, killed and all that. A lot of people looked at this, well, God's plan didn't work. And there's various belief systems out there that, well, there's going to be a second time when Jesus comes and then he'll get it right and, and all along that. What I see here in this passage is that God did get it right. Everything about what Jesus did, him coming and dying because it said through his blood. So clearly the bloodshed of Jesus was predicted, predestined, foreordained, planned out. Everything, heaven and earth, 
came and pointed to, to him. It was supposed to happen. Because, I mean, think about it. From a human standpoint, we're like, oh, man, the Son of God died. We, we blew it. We missed our chance. And no, that was the plan all along. Which that's such a big, like, defeatist moment for the enemies of Christ. Like, we got him now. Nope, you just did what we were planning on you doing all along. Comments or questions? All right, then, so you know everything there is to know about predestination, premillennialism, and you know how to refute it. Okay, all right, since no one asked any questions. Um, no statements, only questions. I'm just kidding. All right, go ahead. Well, you're the only one talking so far, so I'll let you. Yeah, Yvonne says that Jesus, through what he did, brought unity to heaven and earth. And you want to think even bigger picture here. Um, man originally dwelt in the paradise of Eden and was able to be in the presence of God. Since separated that, Jesus came to make heaven and earth like that. This is my father's world song we sing, kind of one again. He brought that all together. Heaven and earth all summed up in him. Verse 11. Also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. And he's gonna, he keeps going back to this predestined word because he wants the people to realize they have a purpose. They, they, there's a reason for what they're doing. There's a reason for why they're here. There's a reason for the church to exist or for Jesus to die. That's all predetermined, predestined, and planned. He says, because God works everything according to his will. Verse 12, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ, that's Christians, would be to the praise of his glory. It was predestined that those who hope in Christ, that those who are in Christ would glorify God. So when we glorify God in our life, we're fulfilling our predestined, predetermined plan that God has for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. It's encouraging, and we need to say that more too. Yeah, we need to say where the source of our blessings are a lot more. Anything up through verse 13? Oh, yes, absolutely. Because of the ability we have to trespass his will and sin, we had to have a plan. But because he gave us free will, he couldn't predestine individuals because that would eliminate free will. It would be contradictory to that. But he can predestine the source of that redemption, which is in Christ. So because we have free will, he predestined that those in Christ would be saved, but we have free will to choose whether or not to be in Christ. Is that kind of where you're going with it? Yeah, I think, I think it's awesome how it all worked out with that. Other thoughts or comments? So first section is these blessings we have from the Father that he's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and he predestined us to adoption through Jesus. And then, in fact, in Jesus, verse 7 and onward, we have redemption through his blood, which is according to the predetermined plan of God, and we're predestined to do good works through that. Now, verse 13, he's going to talk about the blessings from the Spirit. So you have the Father, you have the Son, and now you have the Spirit. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. He wants to give these Christians confidence here. 
He wants to motivate them. Motivate them with the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Motivate them with the fact that they can know that they are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And motivate them with the fact that they have God's seal of approval on them, which is the Holy Spirit here in this passage. So, and he, he's going to talk about when we got it different ways. Whether it's when we received grace, whether it's when we were in Christ, or here after you listen to the message of truth. Those are all different ways of saying the same thing. And that's, that would be very common in Jewish literature too. Um, there's like a term called Hebrew parallelism. You see it a lot in the Psalms and the Proverbs. Well, they'll say this one thing, and then they'll say it another way, and then they'll say it another way, and then sometimes they flip it and say it the backwards way. Have you ever noticed that? They repeat that kind of phraseology. Very, very common in Jewish literature. And it transfers over into the New Testament too. Paul would write this way. And so for us sometimes to even look at Paul and to try to turn it, it's not always linear in how it works. It's kind of a, back to this point, it's like a spiral into it. So he's going to say, I'm going to give you a spiral of all the things that are in the, from the Father. Now, to the Son, it's this and it's this and now it's to the spirit. And they kind of all overlap that all these blessings come from being a Christian, but he's going to describe it different ways. He describes it as being in him. He describes it as being a partaker of the heavenly blessings. He describes it as listening to the message. All the same thing. In him you, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That's the message of Jesus. Having also believed. Because you couldn't just hear the message and receive this. You have to be a believer. You were sealed in him, only in Jesus, with the Holy Spirit of promise. That sealing terminology, remember when we taught through the book of Revelation? Um, they talk about seven seals. Well, what that would be is you would have like a scroll. It would be rolled up and they would have like a glob of wax. They would put on the end of that scroll and they'd have like a, what do you call it? When you, it's like a stamp, right? And they would stamp it down and it would impress upon it the seal of the one who was creating it. Um, way back when, years ago, Wesley Walker's dad gave me the coolest thing. It's for your books in your library. And it was this little stamp and I crimp it and it puts my, my seal on the books and it says, from the library of Robert Clifford Sable, because it's a library, you gotta have your full name, you know, it'd be official. And you know, that kind of stuff, and it would imprint it, showing that that book belongs to me. Back then, same thing. Wealthy landowner, King Caesar himself, would have his own imprinting device. They would put a wax seal on a document, and they would squish it down, and they would have that stamp on there, and that stamp expressed ownership. You know, we tell all the kids when they go to Bible camp, write your name on your clothes so people know who they belong to, right? Yes, done. Yeah, yeah. So have their ring of authority. Dom mentions there and would use that signet ring to stamp the show ownership. We're in Ephesians 1 for those that just came in. Ephesians 1 verse 13. So in Christ Jesus, we are sealed with this spirit. From the sound room afar. Yes, Curtis. I like that. And I'll look into that more. So if you didn't hear Curtis, he says, really the terminology here is more expressive of someone else paying the down payment for us, which when you think about Ephesians chapter one would definitely fit the context there of the redemptive terminology and that kind of thing, that we are going to be saved, but the down payment has paid not from ourselves, but from the spirit himself. Well, 
that later it's going to happen. It's kind of, it's that promise. It, it's the ticket, you kind of say into it. I saw a hand over here. John, did you have your hand up? No? No one else? So the Holy Spirit, when you are a child of God, is given as this, verse 14, a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. It is that guarantee, it is that surety that you will belong to God. It, so even in this life, you know, we talk about a lot of times people go through life doubting, wondering, am I saved, am I not? Well, Paul here says, no, you have a pledge, a guarantee, a surety, a document that says you belong to God. So when you leave this life, you have the guarantee, the surety of the inheritance that was guaranteed that you are going to receive. He's kind of the, the stamp on the will. He's the document of authority. He's the, the ticket. I don't know how else we want to describe it that shows who we belong to and what is going to come in the future to us. Yes. Well, to put it another level, the Holy Spirit is that paying it forward for us, for us to receive that as the beneficiary of the really cool, awesome policy, right, kind of thing. Yeah, um, but yeah, you're right. It's paid for. It's taken care of for us. All of these blessings, the Holy Spirit, redemption, forgiveness, um, all of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, all of those things are only found in Jesus, and we can glorify him, rejoice in him, have hope in him because of that. So he lays all this out here in this first section. And then in verse, and I, from what I understand from Greek scholars that know a whole lot more than me, verses 3 through 14 are actually one sentence because Paul's just like, here's all our blessings. And then he goes, <gasps> he takes a breath in verse 15 of Ephesians 1, and he says, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease in giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Remember, we talked about this before. When you're studying a book of the Bible, especially the letters, like uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, those ones, look for... Um, the thesis statement verses where the author tells you why he's writing. Look for purpose statements where they say things like, I implore you, that's a purpose statement. And also look for prayers. Paul loves to set the tone of his letters with prayers. And he does this here. He says, I heard of your faith. I know what you're doing. And I'm thinking of you and praying for you always. What has he been praying for? Verse 17. Because if you heard that Paul's been praying for you, you want to know what he's saying. If he says, yeah, I've been praying for you every week. Oh, yeah, Paul, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, I've been praying that you'd be a better husband. Oh, <laughs> you know something about me, Paul, right? I mean, you get a tone of it. Well, Paul says, here's what I'm praying for you. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of of him. He says, I want you to get it. I want you to understand. He's going to explain it in another way in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. 
Well, Paul doesn't understand anatomy, does he here? The eyes of our heart. What does that mean? Yeah, understanding. Hey, he's using terminology that be common to the day, obviously, because heart usually means mind in Scripture, but we use the same thing uh, even today. We'll say, man, I, I love you in my heart. Well, no, you don't. Your heart has no thoughts. Your brain does, you know, that kind of thing. The eyes of your heart. He's talking about focus, enlightenment, understanding, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? There's a good three-point sermon for you right there, by the way. He says, here's what I want you to understand. I want you to know something that's pretty awesome. I want you to know what is the hope of his calling. Remember we were talking about here, chapter 4, verse 1. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Paul says, I'm writing this letter so you'll know and understand that calling, what you are called to do. So he wants you to know the hope of your calling. I want you to know the riches of his glory. Well, he's already been talking about that, right? Those riches of his glory and the inheritance of his saints. In verse 19, number three, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? This is God's plan. This is what he wants for us, to understand and know, because when you understand what it means to be a Christian, when you understand how great it is to be saved, then you're able to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Thoughts or comments? It is really powerful what it has right here that we have, because it's all according to the working of the strength of his might. Underline, if you have your Bible there too, as we go through verse um, 19 and 20, notice the, the, the he and him statements. He says, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. All through Jesus and all through God, this is made available. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him head over all things which are the, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who all in all this is how awesome it is to be a member of the church because in the church he says you are part of something that Jesus is the head he has rule he has power he has authority and in fact his power and authority is all over everything any force that is out there whether it's spiritual or physical Jesus is above all of that we are part of a special and unique calling and because of that we should be motivated to live for him, to work for him, to love because of him, and all of that. Anything up through verse 23? I know we moved kind of quickly through this, but I wanted to get into chapter 2 and before we stop this morning. If you were to summarize up verse 15 through 23, what would you say? I wrote in my Bible, I said, we're part of something special. We are God's inheritance. That's what stood out to me. What else stands out to you here? He gives us everything. Yeah, Greg. I like that. There's an interconnectivity between us and Jesus as the head of a body, not a institution or, or something like that. Very true. I also want to mention here, notice how significant the resurrection was. We kind of re went through it quickly, but in verse 20, 
Um, when he raised him from the dead, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. I think there's an undercurrent here of those that were thinking that his death was an accident or a mistake. And he's saying, no, the death of Jesus was predetermined and planned and the resurrection resulted in eternal glory. So don't think that that's a mistake in some way. Anything else up through verse 23? Yeah, he passed it on to him from that. I'm going to read the beginning of chapter 2, and then we'll stop this morning. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So prior to all of this, prior to Jesus, we were lost. He says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too, so he's incorporating in Paul, the apostles, all of them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, but were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. You have two choices here. You can walk the old way, the old way which was according to the devil, the old way which was in sin, or you can walk the new path that is in Christ Jesus that has all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. He lays out these two paths here in this next chapter, but we're going to stop here this morning. But as you read ahead this week, read through chapter 2 and come back prepared to discuss, you know, these two different paths about how we are in Jesus. Also be prepared to talk about the difference between Jews and Gentiles in the Bible and also how do we reconcile Old Testament teaching to New Testament teaching because well, there's some different stuff in there, okay? Um, we didn't go to a temple today and have a priest offer lamb's blood on an altar. So there's some stuff there. So we're going to talk about how we reconcile those differences next week from Ephesians chapter 2. But I'll close in a prayer, and afterwards we'll have about a 15-minute break. You can pick up your kids from Bible class, greet visitors, let everybody know. Do you love them? Welcome them, visit, and we'll come back together about 1030 for our worship time. Let's pray. Our wonderful God, Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus Thank you for redemption. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for blessing us, predestining us, and adopting us in Christ. We just pray that we walk worthy of that amazing calling with which we have been called. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. All right, you are dismissed. Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless.